I want to read a few pieces of scripture uh, this, uh, tonight that are going to help us pick up on a theme uh, that I want to work through. And uh, as we launch into this new series, Relationships, because we've got to kind of create a baseline for our relationships. Is that, is that something we can work with? Uh, th- there's this really important structure that needs to be put into our lives as we develop healthy relationships. And so uh, Third John chapter 1, verse 2 says this. This is the New King James Version that I'm reading from in this particular piece of scripture. And it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Everybody shout health. Just as your soul prospers. All right, Romans chapter 12, verses 12 to 18 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Notice that he's talking, Paul's talking to us. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And then watch this, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on everyone else around you. That's not what it says. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with, with everyone. So once again, we have this, these pieces of scripture that are speaking to us and who we are. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Last one, it says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, what command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And he says this, the second is like it, love your neighbor as? No matter how long you've been in church or how little you've been in church, many of us, most of us, all of us have heard this scripture before. He says all the law and all the prophets depend on these two commands. So tonight, as we begin our series, Mixtapes and Love Letters, I want to speak to you from the subject, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's not you, it's me. Everybody turn back to your neighbor and say, no, it's really you, actually. It really is you. (laughs) It's not you, it's me, as we look at where healthy relationships begin. Will you pray with me just one more time tonight? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so I pray tonight, in our last gathering for the weekend, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that with this sense of expectancy, we'd be leaning into what it is that you want to say to us tonight. Set us free. God, we know that uh, change doesn't happen because of behavior modification. Change happens because your gospel takes root in our hearts. And as it takes root, it produces fruit. And that fruit changes who we are from the inside out. So change us tonight, God. We need your grace. We need your presence. We need your gospel in our lives. We love you. We worship you. We look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I do want to encourage you to take notes. Um, for the beginning of this series, I want to encourage you to bring a, a Bible, your phone, your iPad, notebook. Paper notebooks are best. There was a statistic that just came out recently that said 80% of people who take notes on paper make it into heaven. And so you need to make sure. That's true. That's true. Some of you are like, are you serious, Clark? Are you serious? Eric and I have known each other for uh, 20, 20, 22 years, 22 plus years. Um, we started dating in fifth grade, and uh, I'm just playing, <laughs> but kind of. Uh, we, uh, we met each other in fifth grade and uh, in, in kids' church. She saw me for the first time. It was game over. And so um, remember, those, remember these things where you went like this, right? Do you like me? Do you like And I tricked her. I put yes on every single one. So it's like she's like, where's the no? It's not a no, it's just a yes, it's just a yes, but 
we've known each other for a really long time, but seriously, we did, we like were boyfriend and girlfriend in seventh grade, boyfriend and girlfriend in eighth grade, boyfriend and girlfriend in ninth grade, like all the way through, we've done Sadie Hawkins dances, proms, homecomings, you've made it, we did it all together. In between those times, it was together, apart, together, apart, like we'd be together and then we'd break up. And then we'd be together and we would break up. This was like the consistency of our relationship in those younger years. And many times when I think back on the past, sometimes we laugh about it. Other times we're kind of like, like a little embarrassed by it because we, we did this whole thing. But I'll never forget, uh, many of the reasons that we'd break up at, at times is because we just simply wanted to date other people, um, <laughs> if, we're, if we're honest about it. But other times we'd say these things, and maybe you've heard this before, like it's the idea of it's not you, it's me. I just need to work on myself right now. Come on, how many of you been, right? I just, I just need to take time for me. I need to decompress, let Jesus do his work in me. Which was most of the time a, a lie. And if we haven't heard that in real life before, we've heard it on a TV show, maybe a movie, maybe you've had uh, somebody else's relationship that you've heard this idea, it's not you, it's, it's me. But here's the reality. Whether we've heard it before or not, the foundation of every healthy relationship is a healthy me. And we do have to take time to work on ourselves. We do have to take time to become better us's, <laughs> if I can say it that way. And for many of us, we put together these checklists, whether, uh, especially those who are single and they're wanting to, to be in relationship with somebody, we put all these checklists together about what we want. But here's the question, when was the last time that what we want was a healthy person and me to be healthy? When was the last time that was a part of our checklist? And I do want to say this because some of us, many of us are married in this room. You could be thinking like, well, what's this have to do with me? I'm married. Here's the reality. Healthier us's make healthier marriages. Right? Healthier us's make healthier friendships. Healthier us's make healthier churches, healthier parents. No matter what relational dynamic you find yourself in, when I get healthy, when you get healthy, when we get healthy, our relationships get healthy. Show of hands, therapeutic moment, how many of us want healthy relationships? Okay? Most of us. There's a few of us that don't, but that's all right. We'll talk later. William James, an American philosopher and psychologist, once said this. Whenever two people meet, there are really six people present, right? There is each person as he sees himself, each person as the other person sees him, and each person as he really is. How many of you want me to read that just one more time? All right, go. Whenever two people meet, there are really six people present. There is each person as he sees himself, each person as other people see him, and each person as they really are. And I think this is an important reality for us because if we're honest, we have a tendency to focus on the aspect of what others think about us, right? Rather than dealing with who we are, stepping back for a moment and, and going internal, stepping back for a moment and doing some self-assessment, becoming, becoming self-aware. I found that we tend to focus only on one aspect of, that, of this truth, and that's how others see us. So often the relational realities of our lives are predicated on others rather than stepping back and realizing that we are the common denominator in all of our relationships. And I've talked to so many people, maybe you've been there. If you keep going from one unhealthy relationship to another, one destructive relationship to another, and blaming it on everybody else, there's a certain moment in time where we gotta step back and go, maybe I am the common denominator in my relational hardships. Can we talk truth in church? <laughs> Right? And so I want us to wrestle with this dynamic of being healthy because if we're going to work through this series, 
Lots of different communities. Pastor Andrew's going to be speaking. Pastor Erica's going to be speaking. Pastor Justin's going to be speaking. We've got Adam next week. It's going to be an amazing time of different communicators bringing all kinds of different truth. But here's the deal. We will not be able to assimilate truths about our relationships unless we are on the way to being healthy. You got to get healthy. Turn your neighbor and say, get healthy. All right. Turn back and say thank you. <laughs> See, the journey towards healthy and vibrant relationships starts with the journey and process of becoming a healthier me. We tend to shy away from this part of the equation because for many of us, the journey of health requires the deep work of healing. If we're honest about it. And this is a process that tends to lend itself towards degrees of pain as we have to consider our pasts, deal with our hurts and our hang-ups, develop better patterns, and leave behind what is destructive in our lives. Personal health and wholeness requires deep work, sacrifice, and faith. But if we're willing, this work will enable us not just to navigate our relationships better, but equip us and empower us to have the most fruitful, vibrant, and healthy relationships possible. So at a presentation for the Department of Psychology at Helderberg College in Somerset, West South Africa, a lady named Charlene Renee Renke gave a presentation that she prepared for the International Faith and learning seminar concerning this issue of personal health and relationships. And here she is standing in front of a learning community, professors and, and teachers and college students, and this is what she says concerning this issue. I want you to hear this, because when I read this, I thought, man, if we could stand up in more places and spaces like this and say this same exact thing, watch what she says. She says, by using the law of God as a mirror and the cross of Christ as my hope, I see both what I am objectively and factually and what I can become through the grace of Jesus Christ, who saw such worth in me that while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. In evaluating myself realistically, I find that while God has given me my own specific potential, I also have traits that could be the cause of my downfall. And through a study of God's word in which he communicates to me his will and reveals his character, I grow and mature as a human being, restored in the image of God. To be loosened from the baggage of the past, I accept God's gift of forgiveness, which frees me to live as myself within my relationships, both in the present and in the future to come. She stood in front of a learning community to say this. And what is she saying? Healthier us's, if I can just use that term. Build healthier relationships. And so we've got to commit to the journey of, of, of personal health, becoming, becoming healthier in who we are. All right? So here's the question we've got to answer today. What does a healthy self look like? What does the process of health look like? How do I know if I'm moving in the direction of personal health? And so what I want to do is I want to take the remainder of our time together tonight to look at four predicators of health health that help us develop and maintain healthy relationships in our lives. Things that we can look at and identify, okay, I'm moving in the direction of health. Does that work for us tonight? All right, but I need your help. Come on, Michelle. Number one, first one is this. First predicator is when I allow confidence to instruct me rather than my insecurity to control me. I know I'm moving towards health when I allow my confidence, when I allow confidence to instruct me rather than my insecurity to control me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, this is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to one of his young leaders, Timothy, who's pastoring a church at a younger age, and this was kind of like an apprentice. And, and we do know, biblically speaking, Paul talks a lot about Timothy. They were in great relationship, and we could, if we wanted to, call Paul probably a spiritual father to Timothy. And watch what he writes him. He says, therefore, I remind you 
to rekindle the gift of God that is in you. All right? Through the laying on of my hands. Why is he going to tell him this? Why is he, he's, why is he driving it to this point? Well, he's going to tell us in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So in other words, we're looking at this reality that Paul is instructing Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to build confidence in him because there's something else that take, that's taken over Timothy's disposition. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and sound judgment. Other translations would say, he hasn't given you a spirit of fear or timidity, insecurity, but rather power, love, and a sound mind. The truth is this, is that so many times in life we have a tendency to operate out of our insecurity rather than in our confidence, right? A little while ago, my daughter um, uh, was walking around the house, and my son, Justice, he's kind of in like bull and china shop mode which means like he just walks around and like he'll shoulder me and he'll get rough with his mom sometimes and, and he'll, he'll knock down his two-year-old sister and, and everything like that. And it's kind of fun because I'm watching him become all boy, but I'm trying to also help him understand boundaries, especially with the ladies. Like you don't go around hitting ladies, okay, right? And hitting them with your shoulder and shoving them down to the ground. That's not going to bode well for you as you get older, okay? That's not how you ask someone out on a date. And so we're, some of you are like, Really? <laughs> date me. Uh, So I'm working through this whole process with him, and I watched this thing happen, though. This one afternoon, we're walking. He's playing around in the house and everything, and he shouldered Shiloh, my eight-year-old daughter. And no quicker than when he shouldered her, she threw her foot down. She goes, you will not treat me like that. (laughs) You go, girl. And I got super pumped, and I walked over to her. I was like, remember that when you're 16, okay? Let's, Let's do this. But she was putting her foot down in what? Confidence. Confidence. The crazy thing is is that many of us find ourselves in mistreatment because we're not willing to put our feet down in confidence because we live out of insecurity. (laughs) We've got to pay attention to this reality. Because so many times I watch so many people that give up on what God has for them out of a spirit of fear and timidity and insecurity. And, and, and I sit back and my heart breaks as I watch men and women, marriages, people all over the place giving up on what God has put in them through the laying on of hands because they're simply just insecure. And one of the greatest ways that we will have unhealthy relationships is when we operate in insecurity rather than confidence. Come on, how many of you have ever made a bad relational decision out of insecurity? I've done it so many times. And here's the reality. I want to qualify this because this is not a message where we say kick all the unhealthy people out of your world. No, I'm saying get healthy because when we get healthy, we can deal with unhealth. Jesus had unhealthy people around him all the time. It's just the unhealth didn't impact him because he himself was healthy. And I've come to realize in my life, when I get healthy, unhealth can be around me and I can thrive because I'm confident in who Christ has made me. I'm confident in what Jesus has put inside of me and I don't need to be affected by unhealth. Am I talking to anybody tonight? All right. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down if you can. Insecurity will cause us to reach for the lowest relational denominator there is. Right? Mainly because our insecurity preys upon the idea or belief that we do not deserve greater. That's what insecurity preys upon. For all the single people in the house, I've been like picking and choosing people I want to talk to, right? All the single people in the house tonight. Hey, right? (laughs) Talk to the ladies. 
Ladies, don't go for the lowest hanging fruit. Don't do it, right? That's easy fruit. All the guys were really silent. They're like, oh, man, come on, bro. Come <laughs> out. I remember we had this apple tree in our backyard in our first house that we had here. And uh, we would always, uh, we always want to pick these apples that were out there. And if we'd go for the easy one, the ones that the kids could even get, we'd always see these little boreholes in it from these like little, little worms and, and birds pecking at them and different things like that. But there was always at the, towards the top of the tree, the better fruit. The fruit that took some effort, right? The fruit that took some negotiation to get to it. And at the end of the day, insecurity will cause us to go for the lowest hanging fruit. But when we understand who we are in Christ, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. We will always believe that there is greater for our lives, especially in our relationships. When I allow confidence to instruct me rather than my insecurity to control me. Number two, have a shout number two. There's the second predicator. Second thing we need to be aware of is when I allow grace to fill me rather than my frustration to guide me. You know, you're moving towards health when we allow grace to fill us rather than our frustration to guide us. I watch so many people make decisions for relationships and about relationships simply because they're frustrated. All right? I watch people... As a, as a pastor who counsels a lot of people, I watch marriages break up because we're frustrated. And in that frustration, people realize that there's a gap, so they start filling their gaps with all kinds of other things instead of grace. Come on, somebody. And we make, we make decisions out of frustrated. I watch singles, as they process their life, they start getting frustrated because I've been single for so long, and I just... Just want, I just want a guy, I just want a girl, and, and all of a sudden we start lowering the standards and start making decisions on relationships, lifelong relationships, hopefully, out of frustration rather than being filled with grace. This is why Paul would say, your grace is sufficient for me, right? In all my weaknesses, your grace is sufficient for me. And so we've got to realize that when we fill the gaps in our lives with anything but grace, it's simply garbage, that's why Paul would say, listen, all these things that I have in my life, all my accomplishments, all the things that I've, I've figured out in life, I count it all as rubbish. That's what he'd say. Except to know the power of Christ and him crucified. And so we've got we've to fill ourselves with his grace. Watch this, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It's Paul writing again. He says, I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so you, don't, so you don't know what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Watch verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit lives in us, dwells in us, right? Fills the gaps. Watch what happens with that filling. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to I encourage us tonight and say this as a qualifier. When we find ourselves frustrated, We've got to go back to the place where we understand that the Spirit of God lives in us. 
And where the Spirit of God is at, let's say it one more time, there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at that. When I'm filling my gaps with the grace of God, it changes everything. And this is one I've come to realize quietly disturbs and eventually destroys our relationships. When I do not allow his grace to fill me, I then become driven by the frustration of my gaps, which in turn causes me to make destructive decisions, which impacts myself and my relationships. I had some gaps, still do. We all have gaps. But over the past probably six years especially, I've taken a lot of time to do some, some reflecting and some learning and some growing and gone through some different things to become more self-aware about myself, just not, not just who I am, but how I impact others as well. I've sat with a counselor a few times um, who ruins my life. Um, it's awesome. All in, the na- all in the name of becoming better, getting healthier. I want to be healthy. I want to be a healthy dad. I want to be a healthy, I want to be a healthy husband. I want to be a healthy leader. I want to be a healthy friend. I want, I want health. And so part of that goes into self-discovery. And so um, I have a lot of energy, if you haven't figured that out by now. Um, I kind of move quick, and I move, and I'm constantly going. I've kind of got a nervous energy about me at times, and, and uh, it's not that I have anxiety, but I have this, like, anxious twitch because I want to just keep on going. I want to keep on driving. I want to keep on pushing. I want to build something else, right? Even our team was joking around. After we got downtown launched, they're like, so when do you want to do the third one, right? Because that's my, that's my kind of natural desire. And, and as I started thinking about that, because there's been times in our marriage where she's like, can you just pause for a minute? And just smile about it and be, and be pumped. And I'm like, I am, I am, I am. Conquer the hill, right? <laughs> but especially in the beginning years of ministry and everything, I started to realize something as I, as I looked at myself. I had filled the gaps with drive, not God's grace. Because somewhere along the way and somewhere along the journey of life, somebody told me that I wasn't capable. Somebody told me that I wasn't smart enough. Somebody told me that you're too weird, right? Somebody told me that, like, it wasn't going to pan out the way that I wanted it to. I wasn't going to be able to get to, to this thing that I believed that God was inside of me. And so instead of filling the gap with God's grace and allowing him to lead me on the journey, I filled it with drive, and I was going to show people what I am. And the crazy thing is, is it impacted every relationship I have. It impacted my marriage. It impacted our kiddos. It impacts my team. It impacts the people around me. Why? Because when we fill our gaps with garbage, it will leak at a certain point. And then you'll get that leaky stuff on the people around you. And then all of a sudden, check this out, if we're not careful, my kids and their gaps get filled with the garbage that's leaking out of me. And then they wonder, how did I get this in me? What are you filling your gaps with? Is it grace or is it garbage? And it could be noble things. But anything outside of grace is garbage. I don't care how noble it is because that gap is a God-sized gap. And he's the only thing, the only one that can fill that gap. But I'm doing good things. Doesn't matter. It doesn't fill it. But I'm working so hard. Doesn't matter. It doesn't fill it. But I'm trying, it doesn't matter, it doesn't fill it. But what about, it doesn't matter, it doesn't fill it. The only thing that fills it is the grace of God. It's the only thing that's sufficient. 
Number three, come on over, shout number three. Third one is this. The third thing that operates as a predicator of health that I can look at and, and establish is when I allow character to define me rather than my desires to corrupt me. Oh, it's getting quiet in church tonight. When I allow character to define me rather than my desires to corrupt me. Watch what James chapter 1, 14 through 15 says. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by the devil. Nope. Nope. You ever heard that before? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, no, seriously, but the devil, I'm, I'm in spiritual warfare. No, you're not. You're in you warfare. <laughs> it's Bible right here. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by what? His own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I know I'm moving towards health when I allow character to define me rather than my desires to corrupt me. And if we're honest, desires have a tendency to lead our life. And I feel something, and then I go for it. I feel, and I feel, and, and, and in this generation, this world that we live in, Come on, we've started to buy into the idea that, the, that our feelings and our desires are the highest form of authority in our lives. But they're not. We have feelings. Feelings have a tendency to indicate what's going on inside of us so we can look at them and, and study them and go, why am I feeling this way? What do I need to understand? But they are not the highest form of authority in our life. Character based upon the truth, principle, and call of God in our life is the highest form of authority in our lives. When I'm led by my desires, how, how many of you would understand this? So many times when we've been led by our desires, how many of you would agree with me, it gets me into trouble. Right? About 9.30 at night, I'm always led by my desires, and I have this gigantic bag of Oreo cereal in my, and I did it last night. And then I pulled out this bag of cereal, and I was like, oh, praise the Lord for Oreo cereal. And then I was like, but I shouldn't be eating, like, I'm trying to watch what's going on. So I grabbed a smaller bowl. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and I justified my desire with, well, it's just a little bit. <laughs> right? It's just, it's just a tiny little bit. How many times have we done that? Click, it's just a tiny little bit. Right? Got that invite? Come on, come to the club, Betsy. No one's named Betsy anymore. I'm just saying. Right? <laughs> Betsy doesn't get invited to the club. <laughs> It's so, it's so bad, right? And you're like, I'll just, I'll just go for 10 minutes, right? I'll just, I'll just go for 10 minutes. And 10 minutes turns into 20, and 20 turns into an hour. And all of a sudden, by the end of the night, I've got a crazy headache. I can barely walk, and I'm wondering what's going on with my life. Come on, can we talk it downtown tonight? <laughs> i got to allow character to define me rather than my desires to corrupt me. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4, it says this, In the spring when the kings march out to war, oh, we're going to preach in a moment. David sent Joab with his officers in all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. Watch what happens. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, which I've always been puzzled by her name. She was in a bath. Um. (laughs) 
Bathsheba. Um, <laughs> so David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. And so we can read the story, and we go, David, he's just nasty. Right? He was a predator. He was, he was just this dude who just wanted women. The Bible actually doesn't say that. The Bible says that David was actually a man after God's own heart. God had chosen David at the age of about 15 or 16 years old. The qualifier in the story is not that he got up and went to the roof. The qualifier was David was someplace he shouldn't have been in the first place. And we find ourselves in places that we shouldn't be in the first place when there is an abdication of character in our lives. When all of a sudden we shift from what I should be doing and being responsible with myself to I'm going to be led by my, des my desires. And I'm going to just go in this direction. We've got to be the type of people that understand that God has got greater for us. Character is important. I remember in Bible college, <laughs> I had this accountability group, a bunch of guys. We were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, all of us with raging hormones, right? We were in Bible college, bridal college, Bible college, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and so I remember we sit with this group. It was about five of us guys, and, and one of the grand moments of accountability, one of the things that we really, like, we're just talk truthful in church. We've been talking this way all weekend long. And it's going to get nitty-gritty during this series. We're going to tackle some stuff. But one of the things that we held each other accountable with was porn. Right? We want to make sure, like, we're got, guys, we're going to fight. We're going to be men of character. We're going to be men of character. And so we were constantly checking on each other. And we had things that, uh, uh, that we'd get emailed to each other if somebody looked at something they shouldn't. And so we're, we're going to hold each other. We had a porn jar. Right? Porn jar was, like, if you looked at something you shouldn't look at, you had to put money in the jar. Which is a poor Bible college student, you'd look at me like, I got $5? Or, I guess I'm not looking, right? <laughs> I can't give up this five bucks. <laughs> Chris is like, moving along, moving along. Look at him, he's, he's get off of it. Oh, come on, welcome to church. And so... <laughs> Dude, I could t this story is awesome. Like, th this piano's perfect. Keep it, keep it rich, bud. Keep it rich. And so that porn jar, we put it on top of the refrigerator. We put it on top of the refrigerator, and it said porn jar on it, right? And so you'd watch it like money would go into it, right? And so this is was, this was the process. But we're like, after time, we're like, man, porn jar's not working. <laughs> it keeps on getting loaded with cash. And so we got to figure out another way. And so we had this accountability group. And uh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. One afternoon, buddy came over, and he put his computer down in front of us, and it was mangled. Like it was all broken up, wires hanging out, disk drive hanging out, screen, disk drive. I just, I just dated myself. Screen shattered. And we're like, bro, what happened? And he's like, man, we got rid of the porn jar. And I was like, I know. And he's like, I just... I tempted and I clicked on something, and then I realized that I shouldn't be doing this, and we don't have the porn jar, so the, the only thing that I could think of in this moment was I could pick my, my computer and throw it against the wall. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, look. And then he continued on, like, think about this 19-year-old, and he continued on, he's like, remember when, when Joseph was standing before Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar came at him, and she was, like, all hot and bothered, and wanted, like, wanted Joseph to do something, and all Joseph did was, he ran, like, he took off, 
in the name of character. So all I could think to do was throw my computer against the wall. I think sometimes we've got to get back to the place where we get extreme about our character. We got too much to lose. We got too much riding on it in this generation. I got kids in my life that can't afford for me to lose my character. We got to get extreme about it. We got to make some maneuvers about it. You fill in the blanks as to what it is, but I got to run. I got to pursue Jesus. I got to make some moves in my life to be the man that God's called me to be. Come on, we need churches of character. We need marriages of character. We need relationships of character. There's some Josephs in this generation. Man, it's character. See, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays this prayer, God, take, take this cup from me. And so many of us look at it and we go, it's such a spiritual thing that Jesus is doing. And, you know, he's fully man and fully God. And this, this is like the spiritual side of Jesus where he says, nevertheless. Ah, nevertheless was a statement of character. He said, nevertheless, your will be done. I'm going to do this because you're asking me to do that. That's a statement of character. There's a fourth point, but I'm going to end it here <laughs> because I think this is what we need to understand. Actually, I'm gonna, that's going to bother all the A-types. Hold on. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, no, no. Be a man of character and say number four. <laughs> number four. Predicator of health is when I allow faith to lead me rather than logic to fool me. <laughs> when I allow faith to lead me rather than logic to fool me. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that what takes us out of character is us using logic to get around it? If you look in Genesis, when the serpent deals with Adam and Eve, he makes the statement, surely God didn't say. She's like, no, 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 God, God did say. And then there's this, this, this moment that, that takes place between them where it's this wrestling match between faith and logic. Faith and logic. Did God say? Yes, he did. But what about this? And so I start using logic to weave around the character points and, and weave around the calling of God in my life and, and weave around the healthy things that need to be in my life. And I start using logic and I'm being logical. And I'm not saying abandon your way to think through things. But at a certain point, if we're going to be people of character, if we're going to be people of integrity, if we're going to be people that step into the call and the purpose of God in our lives, it's not going to take logic to to get there. It's going to take faith to hold us there. So where are we at?